Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's most prominent media, we'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. My name's Nick Hayes, and uh, we've got Lana Hill. Lana. Hello, Nick Hayes. Hey, knock, knock. Who's there? Doctor. <laughs> Doctor who? Don't like that show. <laughs> oh, God, that's bad. That's I almost, kind of enjoyed it. That's almost as bad as Dr. Ross Walker. Um, <laughs> he, he's known nationally uh, for his little, I don't know whether his medical advice or, or uh, his humour. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I, that was really bad. Sorry, everyone. But I'm not going to apologise for the guests that we have here today. Um, now, you, you, you would have to have been living under a stone if you haven't uh, seen this good doctor up and about. He's, uh, he's very much regularly featured on television and on radio. I don't see a lot of print on him, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him about that. His name's Dr. Joe Kosterich. Dr. Joe, welcome to the show. Nick Lana, lovely to be with you both. Yeah, look, <laughs> this is a real pleasure, doctor, because, uh, look, I've got a sore foot. <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh, God, that's so bad, isn't it? That means you've got to take your shoes and socks off and yeah. I need to have a look. Now, no. it's, good, it's a good thing it's a podcast, not a video. Oh, no. <laughs> also, too, a smell cask. Imagine that. <laughs> hey, um, Dr. Joe, you are just about everywhere. I've never, I've ne- I don't think that anyone in the medical system or in the medical fraternity has a higher media profile than you. And I say that knowing I've been in media for close to 20 years. And I'd mentioned Dr. Ross Walker off the offset because, you know, he is prolific in radio uh, as well. But you, you in WA and also too on a national level are just about everywhere. How did you do it? Look, it's a really good question. And um, it's like a lot of things when you ask people, how did you get into it? You often end up just falling into um, into situations. Um, my original entree, I suppose, into the media were going back into the mid-90s. In 1994, I became the then chairman of the AMA General Practice Council in WA. And one of the first, I think the first day I was there, they said, oh, we need you to do an interview. And oh, we'd have done no media training or wow. anything. And, um, and away we went. And then, look, I was spokesperson for a number of uh, a few committees in the AMA in the mid-90s, ended up uh, finishing up there in the in the late 90s. And what I found is that a number of media outlets um, just kept my number and kept wanting to, to ring me up to, to talk about things. A um, bit later, subsequent to that, ended up writing a column for the West Australian for the best part of seven or eight years. And um, you mentioned about print. Look, I've written various things at times for, for WA Today and, and previously for, for Perth Now. And... Um, you know, the phone rings and, and I tend to answer it, which I was told early on is, is one of the keys in the media is that um, um, a lot of doctors, in fact, people in general, but particularly doctors don't tend to um, answer the phone or return calls. Mm. So um, I don't want to give any trade secrets, but, you know, it's not a difficult thing to do. <laughs> it's not difficult, Lana. It's not difficult to do. And look, But I tell you what, it's one of the hardest things for media to find a good doctor that is not only good at delivering and communicating but being available and being available is everything yeah it certainly is I'm just staggered by you know so it's it's 30 years really isn't it that you've been 
doing this for. Is that right? Well, it'll be Close 20, to? 25, 25 yeah. plus. Yeah, and how... Don't look a day over uh, 34 <laughs> there, uh, Dr. Joe. But that. yeah, I think obviously <laughs> being available is certainly for anybody, but particularly for someone in your in your field, it's, uh, it's incredibly important. I, I would imagine you would have had all of the crazy questions asked, because I know you do talk back and we've actually done some radio together. What's, what's the craziest question you've been asked on air? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't want to hear any of the personal uh, nasties and stuff. Like that. Oh, this is a this is a, a MA rated uh, podcast. Look, there was a there, you talk about sort of doctors have been in the media. I mean, there was a doctor feel good. I think she's yes. still around. Oh who, yes, uh, used to have a program. Probably delved more into that um, that area than um, than I did. Uh, look, the, the common one usually it's the ones where people ring up. Um, and, and it's often more night uh, nighttime radio than, than daytime. <laughs> and it usually starts, oh, look, you know, I've, I've had this pain variably in the back or the toe. And, you know, I've had it for about 30 years. And, and I've seen about 43 <laughs> doctors and 27 specialists. And, you know, I've had all these scans and all these, and all these blood tests. And nobody seems to know what it is. Do you know what it is? <laughs> And, and the answer to that is, well, look, short answer to your question is, is, is probably not, and, and certainly not without you know, seeing you, but um, I think what we can deduce from everything you've said is that, and you know, don't take this the wrong way, but it doesn't look like what you've got is imminently life-threatening given you've had it for this length oh, of time. Ah, well played. Very good answer. That's good cricket, Nick Hayes. It is, it is. <laughs> but I love the fact that, yeah... And it's that's particular to nighttime radio, and, and, and or even going worse overnight radio. Um, Joe, you you but we you've sort of talked about the, the the how, but the why. Why do you do this? Because is it is it to raise? And I, look, I, I think when you ask any expert, and one of the great motivators that we want from from any expert to to be a part of the media is that they want to raise their profile, they want to raise their business. Is this what you got yourself into the media to do? Um, not r- funny as this might sound, not really in as much as, um, look, I've you know, been in practice for 30 years and I really am as busy as I need to and, and almost want, want to be. But in the late 2000s, and some of this sprung out of the columns that I was then writing for the, for the West, um, it just increasingly struck me that you're having the same conversations with people one-to-one ongoingly. Mm. Um, in terms of looking after your health, there really are some basics. You know, it comes to do with, with diet, with exercise, with stress management, with, with sleep. Now, these are really basic things. And you can say the same thing a hundred times to a hundred people one at a time. But <laughs> through the media, one can say something once, hopefully to a bigger audience. And that prompted me to, to write the book in, in the late 2000s, which was really about how to keep yourself healthy and away from, from doctors. Um, and that, I suppose, then gave a second springboard to, you know, to doing more media media work because that was about promoting the, the book yeah. um, and the uh, and the website but I suppose not trying to grow my practice because I'm you know fairly busy as it as it is yeah I don't, I don't see too many GPs running around going oh, can I grow my practice here I need more patience <laughs> it's, it's, it just seems to be can I offload some patience is that that wouldn't be that would be nice but but you are as a GP and, the, and, and I think mainly because of the the media's appetite for it is it because of the topics the issues of health health is you know is our top you know, I don't think there is a bigger issue that you know we can deal with. You know, health. If you're not looking after number one, if you're not looking after your health, you you're really not looking after yourself or your family at all. 
Well, I think there's a quote from, and I'm not sure if I got this exactly, um, from uh, the late Colonel Harlan Sanders, who said to something along the lines of, you know, it's no use being the, you know, the richest person in the cemetery. You can't do any business from there. So, um, and I think going back to, to, you know, to Roman times, there's uh, quotes along the lines of, you know, the greatest wealth is is health. And, you know, the, the two are not mutually exclusive either in as much as, and particularly with our ageing society, if people are living longer, then yes, they do need more resources to, to live off, but they also want to be able to enjoy their life for longer. So if you're not looking after your health, then um, it is a little, you know, no, no amount of money is going to bring back your quality of life. Joe, you're uh, also very big on topics and you've got some passionate topics that you love. I think, you know, it's it's not unfair for me to say that you, you're very uh, supportive of medicinal cannabis. You're a supporter of the vaping side of it. And can I just say to you, absolutely too, I don't think you're going to get any complaints from Lana L. Vapor, by the way, she loves a good vape. Um, occasionally. Occasionally. Sorry, I'm letting out all your secrets. But you are, you're quite passionate about those kind of... Um, issues that can be seen as quite contentious and and for a, a general practice law uh, sort of about to say general practice lawyer <laughs> in, the medi- in the medical space is does raising your head doing that kind of thing raise a few issues for you uh look i, I suppose it, it does in as in as much as look i'm sure i'm not everybody's proverbial cup of tea but then you know i don't so that that that's not the aim of the of the game I mean, I suppose to, to tie in a little bit what you said before, you know, why do I do some of these things? I suppose, you know, some things I think are important. And if I feel they're important, then, uh, you know, I suppose I'm prepared to, to get involved and say something about it. Um, the medical profession is conservative and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We don't mm. want to leap at every new, you know, U-Butte concept. But it can also mean that new ideas that do have value don't get promoted and, and there can be quite a, not only that there can actually be quite a lot of resistance to it yeah i mean the classic case and, and this shows us that we might not advance that far is a uh, Semmelweis in the 1800s uh, worked out that washing your hands was a good idea for for doctors and you know in the current environment you know we, we know all about it but this is back in the 1850s and 60s i think when it wasn't a thing and he identified that there were much less deaths for women in childbirth if uh, people were washing their hands before they delivered. So yeah, today wow. we can think, how would you not know that? But, you know, this is 150 <laughs> years ago. Exactly. And he was hounded by the medical profession in his day. He ended his days in uh, in an asylum in very sad circumstances. Um, and later, oh, yeah, he was right after all. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, so uh, the medical profession can be very conservative and resist new ideas. And some of that is, you know, again, with caution, but some of it can also be vested interest. And the, the vaping space, yeah, look, I am the chairman of the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association. And, you know, my view and the view of the, the organisation is that, uh, as has been found repeatedly, vaping is at least 95% less harmful than smoking. So if you don't smoke, it's not a, great, it's not a good idea to go out and take up vaping, no. But if you are a smoker then and you can't quit, then this is a much better alternative. Um, with the medicinal cannabis, and, and again, I need to declare that I am medical advisor to, to Little Green Pharma. Again, we've got something which has value for certain people in certain circumstances. Not a panacea, it's not a cure-all for everybody. Yep. But we use far more dangerous drugs every day in medical practice, yes. and nobody bats an eyelid. And yep. along comes medicinal cannabis, and people go, "Oh no, we can't. This is terrible. Um, you know, we haven't. We need more research. Well, we've got enough research. We've actually also got thousands of years of human use that." shows that like any medication and any herb 
it, there can be problems with it, but it's very easy to manage that and it can have benefits. When you've got an expert, Lana, that has not just this experience, but also to um, background, it, it just reinforces, particularly on some of the subjects and topics, and it's a big message out to everyone. You know, if you are passionate and, and believe and then throwing out those different ideas, that media is not only going to be attracted to you, but brands are going to be attracted to you as well. So Little Green Farmer, they, they need you on that because they need you to be talking about it. And that's got to be good for experts. Oh, absolutely. And I think not only good for experts in the media, but good in terms of making a larger impact in in society, you know, which is what you talked about before, Dr. Joe, being able to impact people rather than just see them all one-on-one. Um, and yeah, I think the fact that you're not shying away and, and being one of those boring conservative doctors <laughs> that won't, you know, that will actually have an opinion um, and say it like it is. So... No, we're, we're very you're, appreciative. Your opinion doesn't just sit in the med, 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 medical side. It's uh, I do see you on Sky News a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, throwing around your ideas yes. and concepts. Um, look, I suppose <laughs> health and, and well-being and lifestyle is, you know, is fairly broad. And, you know, matters that go on in, in society at large aren't directly health matters, but do impact how people, you know, live their lives. And, uh, look, one of my particular um, pet beliefs is, is the importance of freedom of speech and freedom of expression, which is not to say one should go out being offensive or abusive to people, but it is to say human society only advances through a contest of ideas. Yep. If at any point we believe that we know everything everything and nothing can be questioned, then we're back to the days of Semmelweis where, no, we know exactly what's going on. We don't need to listen to this guy. He's questioning authority. Um, and we have morphed a little bit into a society that um, is very driven by authorities. Mm. Once upon a time, those authorities might have been religious and in the church. And, and now we tend to look to secular authorities such as, um, you know, sometimes um, you know, some of the, sometimes doctors, sometimes other sort of experts. And look, these people do have knowledge in their field, no question. But that doesn't mean that knowledge in their field translates into knowing how people should live their lives or stopping people questioning um, that expertise. You do challenge quite a few of the concepts that your uh, colleagues in the med- medical space uh, believe. I think you, you're not you're not shy on letting them know that, to, and this is to your credit, is that you will challenge them. How, how much, uh, I, I, look, I'll, I'll preface this with this, I'm not a big fan of the Australian Medical Association. I think it's just another lobby group for, for doctors that uh, want to sit or have got reasoning behind it and not suggesting that they're sponsored by any of the pharmaceutical companies, but um, I said it out loud just then. Um <laughs> What is it? I mean, it, it, it is a challenge, though, because it is a very powerful lobby group in that it's got more PR people working for it than some government departments. You sort of sometimes go against their grain and you do mm. challenge them. Oh, look, absolutely. And, um, you know, the whole notion, I suppose, of scientific inquiry and progress is challenging what we currently believe mm. because the day we stop doing that is the day we assume that there is nothing more to know and that we've got everything right. Um, look, Nick, the, the AMA has roughly 25, and this is at a federal level, 25% of doctors are members of the AMA. Is that all? In the mid-80s, that figure was around 50%, and in the early 1960s, when it formed and broke away from the BMA, or British Medical Association, mm. it was about 95%. Wow. wow. That says that, as an organisation, it's not really moving in a forwards direction. It's not reflective of its members. Why and do you think that is? Well, it's interesting, because outside of the profession, there is this view of the AMA as this very powerful, potent, Lobby yeah. group. 
Um, and people also think it has some control over doctors. It doesn't. Um, mm. And when I was there in the 90s, people would write letters to us complaining about doctors. And we've got the, the, the association has no statutory power. It can terminate somebody's membership, but it's a bit like a tennis club saying, well, you can't play tennis here. It's about, <laughs> about the, the extent of it. Um, so the external perception, so it's been good at creating this perception. Mm. Um, and also medicine is, is a tightly controlled um, entity in as much as the numbers of people that go into medicine is relatively small. That's For increased sure. um, since Tony Abbott was health minister and pretty much doubled the number of undergraduate medical school places. We're now seeing that, you know, flow oh. through. So it, it is partly a, a numbers control thing. And also... Um, particularly, I suppose, politicians get a little bit blinded in like sort of deers in the headlights when we're t when they're talking things medical because you can have a lot of jargon. People come, come across as, you know, knowing a lot and sometimes they do, but that doesn't always mean that they're right. Um, and then as soon as you're talking about anything of life and death, um, it's a lot easier to get people's attention. Granted that this is this this won't be uh, broadcasted until into June, but this is the end of May. How do you think the governments have handled COVID nineteen? And from a medical side, we've heard medical advice from federal states. There seems to be a little bit of confusion. What's your what's your state of play on that? Yeah, uh, how long have we got, Nick? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we'll oh, go as long as we yeah. need to. <laughs> um, look, I, look, I'm on the public record in this on my own blog site, and my view from the very beginning is we have to be very, very careful that the cure or the response did not cause more problems than the than the virus. Yes. And interestingly, there's a lot of other commentators are now starting to to raise that. Uh, Ian Hickey uh, from the, I can't think of the Black Dog Institute, one of the mental health groups has yes. forecast, you know, possibly a, uh, you know, 50% increase in suicides over the next five years. I think that's probably a, uh, a high figure. Uh, we're seeing 75% drop-offs in the amount of monitoring for uh, for diabetes. Uh, cancer uh, treatment wow. centres are reporting 30% drop-offs in new referrals. Yep. So this is going to be a long tail. But to get back to your original question, I think in March, when we really knew very little about this virus, there was really no option for governments other than to do what they they did. Yeah. And I think they acted quickly. And um, look, Scott Morrison, I think at the beginning of, of February, um, blocked um, uh, people coming in from mainland yes. China. And he was criticised for yes. doing that. And that was probably the, possibly the single most useful decision that was made. Um, I think the US did something similar. It hasn't gone as well for, for them. Um, but that was significant. The gradual sort of arcing up of, of, uh, of lockdowns, I suppose, has had its role. But what we know now is that there is no clear correlation between the degree of lockdown yep. and the um, outcomes that have been had in terms of number of cases and deaths. And we see that New Zealand has done no better than Australia. Victoria is not doing better than other states. So outside of um, physical distancing, hand washing and, and good personal hygiene, the degree of um, restriction on, on, on activity seems to be very, very questionable. Um, so I think we're now at a stage where we know more. The case fatality rate is far lower than originally projected. Um, the Imperial College in London, and that was that Neil Ferguson who subsequently came unstuck um, because he was going to visit his mistress yes. and broke lockdown. <laughs> he has a track record of overcooking things. In 2005, they predicted some 200 million deaths from avian flu. Yeah. Total ended up being 282. Yeah. 
um, predictions for SARS, predictions for swine flu, sorry, have all been grossly overstated. And the original modelling done for um, COVID, which proje- and also projected hundreds of thousands of millions of deaths, has not been found to be correct. Yep. John P. Ioannidis, who's probably one of the world's foremost um, epidemiologists, and he is also a real critic of a lot of what goes on in medicine, has basically said, really, what we're dealing with is not much more than a bad seasonal Flu oh, in Jesus. terms of fata- in terms of fatalities. Do you in get terms- that, Lana? I told you I've been telling you this. <laughs> Nick been Hayes you this has been saying that for yeah. a while, and, and yet <laughs> we've decimated an entire economony and def- just decimated mm. an entire global economy. Look, you know, I I love that, and I love that we're hearing from experts. Uh, I think a, a lot of us feel because we've got platforms to share, and the fact that we've been to the doctors that we've actually become, we're actually medical experts. <laughs> that's that's sort of the general feeling. We're listening to some people. I think when Adam Voigt came in and talked about education, yes. everyone's an education expert because they went to school. You know, <laughs> um, but, you know, this is the... This is the feel, and everyone seems to be saying things. But look, granted, this is now being broadcast in June, and where we are in May, we don't know. And it's like, but what it, what we do know is that we just need to listen to some common sense and some advice that's there. I think um, fully subscribe, Joe. Where can you take this? Because as a as a doctor. Um, Look, I'll say from a media stables perspective, um, we are always, and I've talked about this with you for years, where's another good doctor? Can't find another good doctor. <laughs> You've even tried to refer a couple to me and it's just like, it's just not at a level. Where does this go for you? Do you do you see yourself in the next decade? I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing next week, but do you, do you, do you see yourself in the next decade continuing on with this? Is this now a bit of a, not just for business perspective, but also to a legacy? Are you looking to leave a legacy behind? Um, look, in answer to your question, I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that that's important for anything that we do in life to to enjoy it. Uh, number two, look, I think there are some, some points that need to be raised. And it's not my view that everybody has to agree with everything I say or that everything I say will subsequently be proved to be right. But I think, um, you know, we, we do need um, contrarian voices and that often is <laughs> is, is mine. Um, so look, I, I suppose over the next decade, uh, look, I'm, I'm certainly happy to keep doing what I'm doing for as long as the phone keeps ringing. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you know, and, and, and the contrarian, yes, <laughs> but not necessarily, contrarian to probably mainstream, the, the traditional um, voices and I, I don't think traditional voices. There's no such thing as traditional voices anymore. We're living in a new world, Lana. It's this is you know this will be post COVID nineteen. This is the the world where we need people to challenge the norms. And I, I think there's never been a, a bigger time that we have to challenge governments at the moment because they were very quick and easy, and we were very accepting in lockdowns. <laughs> Haven't been that quick and easy letting us off. No, I mean, I have to admit, I, I fully subscribe to you, to what you're saying, Joe, in terms of questioning and, and needing that, you know, constant questioning of where things are at in society. I have to admit, I, I've been a fan of the conservative way that the government, um, and particularly the state government By here, the way, has this is not things. a conservative government, let's put this in place, <laughs> this is a Labor government. Well, no, that's true. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think... I think those voices are very important though, Nick, and particularly in the media because I think in Australia, whilst there are, you know, some certainly very large media organisations that may have a certain way of portraying things, we do have a fairly free media in Australia and I think that's something we should be really thankful for. Yeah. I mean, just to pick up on your point, uh, look, I think what was done, as we were saying before, Nick, as well, in March was completely correct. The question is whether in May and June, yeah. with what we now know... 
and we've had a hundred fatalities Australia-wide every winter. We have about two and a half to three thousand deaths from seasonal flu. You know, do we really still need locked borders? Do we still need to stop children playing on playgrounds? Oh. You know, we need. It's 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 a lot easier to bolt the gate than to reopen it. Yep. I get that, but equally, I think governments now need to be as bold um, in letting the shackles off. Um, as they were in, uh, you know, in putting them on. And, you know, it's easy for the states in some respects to say, well, we don't really want to open this up because of all these dangers and, you know, people will be out of work. They're still on the, on the job keeper, but it's the feds that are paying for the job keeper. The states had to pay for yeah. job keeper. They might have a different view oh, about, their, uh, about uh, how quickly <laughs> or slowly they should be letting businesses it's not uh, my open money. up. It's not my money we're spending. But yeah. look, uh, let, let's get off that a little. Mm. I love your views though, because it, it really is important to hear it from uh, an expert's point of view. Um, Dr. Joe, and I, can't even say your own name without putting doctor in front of it. <laughs> I'm the same. It's, but I would imagine that's with a lot of people. Dr. Joe, um, you've had in you know an enormous uh, media history here. And the thing is, what have you noticed over the years that has changed? Have you, um, we're, we're going, we're probably going into a period now with media where never have, their advertising dollar is completely out the door. Never have we been more reliant on media, particularly traditional media, print, radio, television. Um, over the 20-odd years, what, what have been some of the big changes there for you? What, what have you seen move over okay. those? See, the two biggest ones, and it, it's probably a statement of the obvious, is the rise of the internet. Yes. Um, mm. So we don't just have print media, uh, we have, you know, digital media and the movement to, to, to online um, publications. And also the, and, and coupled with that, the fragmentation of the, um, of the media and, in, and also in, the, you know, in electronic. I mean, just as a quick aside, I was having a conversation with people this morning about what, what drives people into GP surgeries. And it reminded me that in the 90s, if on 60 Minutes there was a celebrity who had some medical diagnosis, next week you'd be seeing everybody coming in asking about that. Yeah. Wow. But today... Not nearly as many people are watching 60 Minutes, and I don't want to single them out because it would be the same with any free-to-air station. Yep. So that's the fragmentation well, has been no a big change. Well, there was no other competition change. for 60 yeah. Minutes. 60 Minutes was an absolute yeah. go-to at the time. So the rise of the internet coupled with the fragmentation from yep. the big change. And the other is the ability to, to uh, you know, through social media and uh, blog sites is to be able for people to, to publish themselves and, and have, a, have a voice. I mean, I've was able to you know, self-publish a book and, and set up a blog site. Now, in the 90s, I would have had to have written a letter to the, to the editor and hope it gets published. Yeah, I remember those days. They were, <laughs> they were good old days. So what I'm hearing, though, there's good and bad, obviously, in those two you know, major changes you've mentioned. Um, yes. I mean, good in as much as there's more diverse, you know, there really is more diversity of opinion. Anybody can express themselves. And I actually think that's a good thing. It doesn't make everybody right. And the fact that people have a platform doesn't mean that what they're saying makes sense. But <laughs> neither, you know, but equally and amongst it all, people should be able to read a variety of opinions, what they agree with and what they disagree with, and then, you know, form their own view. Um, fragmentation, I suppose, has its you know, it's certainly very negative for existing media players. And, I mean, back in the old days, uh, only a TV station in Australia was described as a, as a license to print money. It's mm. certainly not that anymore. But 
you know, innovation is important. I mean, the latest example is, I mean, Foxtel are now moving to a, you know, a streaming model as well. Mm. Even, even a model such as pay TV, which is in this country relatively new, mm. is already needing to say, well, we have to adapt to a changing marketplace. Um, so, um, look, innovation is a variation of survival of the fittest. So um, the more, you know, I suppose the more people can innovate, the, the more successful they will be. Before I finish off um, and I ask you the big question of a piece of advice you can give, um, I, I, I adore listening to you on radio. I think you've got, and, and similar to this podcast, it's just uh, wonderful to hear you know, your point of view and your position and, you've, and your storytelling ability. Um, I, I want to sort of put you to your uh, regular gig with Gareth Parker on 6PR and, and you would have seen all the other hosts that would have come on before and after there. But I sense that you, you get you get along very well with Gareth. Is is it is it? Am I hearing that? Do you rel- do you like him? Is it something? That, <laughs> <laughs> You're on the record, Doctor Joe. Uh, Gareth Parker won't be listening to this at all. But, but I mean, but I sense that you've got a really good rapport together, and yeah. you've had a great rapport with all of the presenters before well, him. Look, I mean, short answer is yes. I, I do like Gareth, and, yeah. and, and uh, good I, on you, I Gareth. <laughs> and I think the fe- and I think the feeling's mutual. I can't speak for anybody else. Uh, look, that obviously does help if you're if you're chatting and you get on with a person that does make it make yeah. it easy. Um, look, is anyone pre- you didn't get along with? Um, Say someone that's not in the media now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, who I've worked with. Over Did you ever the get years. to do Howard Settler? No, no, no! I never actually oh, did. Oh, you're probably lucky, you. <laughs> oh, Howard, hello. I got on very well with Paul Murray when he was doing the Buzzer. the show. Um, probably didn't work for any great length of time with with Gary Adset, so I didn't really yeah. get to know him well enough. Um, look, the different TV journos that I've worked with: Tim McMillan, um, uh, you know Tracy Vogue, you know previously some of the people at Channel Set. There are very very few people. Like, there's nobody that comes to mind that I think. Well, no, I wouldn't want to work with that person yeah no it's it's amazing but you know the reason being is that you're giving them the content you're giving them the information you're doing them a favor and uh, and they appreciate it and i'd be i'd be very wary of someone who uh, wasn't appreciating it you'd you'd just say yep okay hey (laughs) dr joe if there was one piece of advice you could give to someone coming through what would it be Gee, Nick, that is a that is a very good question. This is amazing, uh, Lana. By the way, <laughs> if I asked him what was the the chemical elements of cannabis with mixed with hydrochloric acid, he would just be able to sh- shoot it off. Uh, look, it's always this trite advice that people say, you know, look, be be yourself, and and you know, I think that is good advice. I think you I think you need a why, yeah. as in like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um. So I think you need to understand what your own why is, because if you haven't got a reason for doing what you're doing, then you either won't enjoy doing it, or you really will start to become very frustrated with it. If there is an underlying why, whether it's because you want to develop your business, whether you want to develop your brand, whether you want to get a message out, whether you're trying to save the world, you know, whatever that why might be, it's important that it's your why. And that is what you, and if you understand that, then you understand your own motivations and then you can set about doing what, uh, what you do. Oh, love that, Lana. Love it. Me too. But it's so true because it requires energy, it requires commitment. But if it, if it comes from a, 
true place and uh why wouldn't you do it oh, the question is why do we have to finish now <laughs> <laughs> you know we have to in we case. have to because it's about to cut off on me dr joe real pleasure to to have you in the experts podcast hey uh, if people want to get in contact with you how can they reach out to uh, you yeah they can go onto that newfangled internet thing drjoetoday.com and from there you can link to the other socials See, even his website has Dr. J. That's why we keep calling him Dr. J. It's, it's just Brand like, awareness. You've just got to keep going. No, I love that brand. Hey, uh, great to have you in the studio. Lana Hill, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick Hayes. Thank you, Dr. J. The good doctor. Um, knock, knock. No, don't. I won't do it again. <laughs> Not like a Dr. Ross Walker who Wrap it uh, up. always Wrap leaves it up. Okay, I'll finish up. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this podcast, this Experts podcast, you can find out more. Go to mediastable.com.au. We look forward to catching up with you next week. Might have a doctor, might have a, oh God, an expert in some other thing. Or we might have someone from media, but uh, who knows? But uh, we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. You have been listening to the Experts podcast powered by Media Stable. To get in touch with the team, head to the Media Stable website, mediastable.com.au.